Well, good morning, church. So good to see you um, today online and those that are in the room, all of our team. So glad that you're here. Thank you for watching. I believe today is going to be uh, an incredible time of just digging in the word and allowing the Lord to bring some healing to our heart as we talk about Enneagram 4. Before I jump into Enneagram 4, though, as you know, there is a global conversation going on right now. And as your pastor, I feel somewhat responsible to weigh in, check in with you, see how your heart is, point you in the right direction scripturally, and just help us all have this conversation. I, I want to start out by reminding everyone listening today that racism is demonic. It is totally from the pit of hell. It could not be further from the heart of God or the nature of God. Racism is not God's, not only not God's best, it is Satan's plan to divide and destroy God's people. I love in this season, one thing that I've been watching is how we're all listening to each other. We're providing empathy. We're listening to experiences. And I think that's great. I think it's been a long time coming for us to listen to one another, the experiences that we're all having. But if there's one piece of advice I could offer you as your pastor today, it would be this. Please remember that we are people of faith, not people of experiences. Experience informs, faith leads. We are a people of faith, not a people of experiences. And let me explain it this way to you. The experience may say, I'm not racist and I don't know anyone that is racist. That's your experience, but that doesn't mean that you can say that the reality is there is no racism in the world. Your experience informs, but God leads. Another experience may say, all cops are bad. That doesn't mean that's the truth because that's your experience. And I think there's value to sitting down knee to knee, eye to eye with other people and hearing their experience. But church, we need to remind ourselves we are a people of faith, not a people of experience. If, I, if I'm not careful, I would sit down with you and talking about God and I might try to create God in the image of my experience. I've never seen God raise the dead with my own eyes but I know that he can because I'm a man of faith, not a man of experience. Church, I just want to remind you, there's a lot of noise in the world, some good, some not good, but there's one thing that is always true, always true, and that is the word of Jesus Christ that has a solution for everything that culture goes through, everything that people of God go through. The word has the solution we walk by faith, not by sight. Thank God today that we are a people of faith and not a people of experiences. Amen. We are talking about the Enneagram, and the Enneagram has transformed my life. It has given me the ability to see who I really am in light of God's word and how he's made me. It has given me the ability to connect on deeper levels with my wife, with my children, with my employees, with my church family, 
with those around me. The Enneagram is a great tool to help us discover who we really are. And if you've not taken the Enneagram test, I've, I've heard many people are taking the test and I'm getting feedback from them on what their numbers are. And I'm excited. I, I love what we are doing here at The Exchange. If you've not taken the test, please text SELF, S-E-L-F, to 512-980-1220. Not right now, because we're in a sermon. You can do it after, take the test, and, and then let us know what your number is. We would love to hear from you. Let us pray. Father, in Jesus' name, God, I thank you for what you're doing in the heart of your people. God, I thank you for the heart of God that I just feel for America, for our nation, and not just our nation, but for the world. God, the, the things that you are stirring, the things that you are doing. God, I just thank you. We give you full permission to offend us. Offend us with our, our own experiences and our own persuasions and, and, and thoughts. God, I just thank you that you're going to show up on the scene, even even in this sermon, God, you're going to help people, whether they are fours or threes or fives or sixes. God, you're going to help us see a little bit of ourselves in this sermon today. In Jesus' name, I pray. Let the church say, amen. Amen. A new pastor was visiting homes in the community, and he, he was visiting people in the congregation, just wanting to check in on them with quarantine and all. And uh, so he knocked, knocked on the door. There was no answer. So he got a little note card. And he wrote Revelation 3.20 on the note card. And he just put it in the door and went on his way. That next Sunday, uh, he's at church. And then, you know, someone in the offering, they drop in the container the note card that said Revelation 3.20. But on the back of the card, they wrote Genesis 3.10. And the pastor kind of chuckled because Revelation 3.20 begins by saying, Behold, I stand at the door and knock. But the congregation member wrote Genesis 3.10, which reads, I heard your voice in the garden, and I was afraid, for I was naked. <laughs> you know, if we trace sin all the way back to its origin in the Garden of Eden, we see that sin has a companion. It has a companion. When people sin, when sin happens, there's always something that tries to tag along. There's something that goes along with sin that Adam and Eve both experienced, having had their own eyes opened to good and evil in the garden. The Bible tells us that God walks in and he doesn't see Adam and Eve and he says, where are you? And they had, they had made clothes for themselves because they had sinned and noticed their nakedness. And the Bible says they were ashamed. Shame is the companion of sin. When we sin, we can almost guarantee 100% of the time that shame is going to try to attach itself to us. That's why we see in the global church the wreckage of shame. In fact, if you've been tuning in over the last few weeks, Enneagram 2, 3, and 4, they all have the underlying problem of dealing with shame. It's in the heart center. So we're going to talk a little bit about shame today by talking about Enneagram 4. Enneagram 4 is known as the individualist. The individualist, some of you may have heard it called the romantic. 
just for the record, I am a bona fide, certified, full-fledged Enneagram 4. So when I'm talking today, I'm talking about myself as well as we have a couple of fours in the room on campus volunteering today. So I'm excited to get feedback from them and, and hear after the service. But the romantic, I think, is probably better suited than an individualist for me. I would like to call that. What I would say to the fours in the room, or if you love a four, that they are special, unique, and almost always misunderstood. If you are a four in the room or watching online today, maybe you've discovered that you are a four, and maybe you know your Bible. When I tell you who we're going to talk about that is a four, you are going to freak out. Now, if you don't know your Bible, you're not going to panic at all. But if you are a four and know your Bible, you're going to freak out, you're going to gasp, and you're going to suddenly want to distance yourself from the person in Scripture that I'm calling a four. But, but I'm, I'm going to try to convince you why you're wrong today. Let me tell you why I think you're wrong when you freak out. This guy gets a bad rap. He is thrust into leadership, even though he didn't ask for it, he didn't want it. It was difficult for him. But because of his obedience to God, he transformed and changed the entire nation of Israel. So I'm excited today to talk about King Saul. King Saul. I just felt the oxygen leave the room as I said King Saul. King Saul is an amazing individual. Now, most of us, granted, know his story because it ends up kind of in this cloud of dust with this emotional rant, and he's throwing spears at everybody, right? He's a little crazy. Um, so if you're a four, put down your spear this morning and hear me out, because Samuel is a very important figure in our faith. And the, the text, I, I know I said Samuel and Saul, I meant that on purpose. We're backing up from Saul to Samuel. Samuel is a very important figure in faith. He led Israel at the end of his time. He had to choose a king. Now, the people loved Samuel. He was a great leader. He was strong. He just wasn't really a good dad. He, he raised idiot kids. And the nation of Israel, whenever it was time to choose the next king, they said, we love Samuel, but we don't want the line of Samuel to lead us. Give us a new king, right? Now, be careful what you ask for, because sometimes you ask for things and God gives it to you. And so Samuel decides he's got to find someone else. And that's where we pick up in 1 Samuel chapter 10, verse 17 through 24. Later, Samuel called all the people of Israel to meet before the Lord at Mitzpah. Now, underline Mitzpah there if you have it in your Bible, because it's a very important place in Judges. We know that at this place is where the extermination of the tribe of Benjamin almost took place at this very spot. So just tuck that away in your memory. The tribe of Benjamin almost got uh, massacred at this spot completely at Mitzpah, verse 18. And he said, this is what the Lord, the God of Israel, has declared. I brought you from Egypt and rescued you from the Egyptians and from all the nations that were oppressing you. But though I have rescued you from your misery and distress, you have rejected your God today and have said, no, we want a king. Isn't this what God's people do? 
we want to be led by our own emotions and our opinions and our experiences rather than God. I mean, if we don't see that now in today's society more than ever, I don't know what we're, what, I don't know why we're missing it. People want to be led internally by the things that drive them rather than what scripture says to do. Jesus is supposed to be your king. Nothing else should sit on the throne of your heart. They want a king instead. Verse goes on to say, Now therefore present yourselves before the Lord by tribes and clans. What is a tribe? A tribe is a big group of people. There were 12 of them in Israel. Clans are smaller than tribes. So verse 20, Samuel brought all the tribes of Israel before the Lord, and the tribe of Benjamin was chosen by lot. Some people think that's by luck, by casting lots or throwing dice. What that really is saying is the Lord chose it. The Lord chose the tribe of Benjamin here in Mitzvah, the very place where they once were almost destroyed. You see, these people didn't elect a king. God chose a king. God chose a four to be king. How crazy is that? Listen, fours, listen to me. The world may not recognize how unique and special and wonderful you are, but God does. God is not surprised that a four was chosen because he chose him. We're always freaking out. We are always freaking out when people get chosen to lead as if God is suddenly taken by surprise. I mean, come on, we all know it. Oh my God, Obama. Oh my God, Trump. Every time a leader gets chosen in America, we all freak out as if God didn't know. Like God is somehow in heaven watching CNN, waiting for the polls to roll in. So here we have a people who aren't happy with the lineage of Samuel. They don't trust his children, so they're wanting someone new. And God chooses the most insignificant tribe to represent the next leadership. Verse 22. So they ask the Lord, where is he? I mean, they finally get down to the tribe of Benjamin then his family, then the actual son. And everybody gets excited, says, yes, we finally got a king. And they go to look for him. And, and I love actually, uh, verse 21 says, but when they looked for him, he had disappeared. So 22, verse 22, they asked the Lord, where is he? And the Lord replied, he is hiding among the baggage. Listen to me, you can run from God, but you can't hide. God will find you. I remember when I was in my early 20s, a couple years ago, and I was in the military. I had grown up preaching, started preaching at the age of 16. Of course, didn't know what I was doing, um, but thought I was going to be in the ministry, wanted to be an evangelist, never wanted to be a pastor because I didn't want to have to deal with people long term. I just wanted the short term visits to where I could come in. I could preach, do my thing, and then roll on out of town. Like, that's, that's living the life, you know, the ministry life. Um, and God had other plans. He was like, no, you're, you're great at ministry, but you need to be great also at messy ministry. Like, when you're there long term, things get messy, and you can do this. And I remember driving in the car because I was making plans to go back into the Air Force as an officer. I had enlisted. I won all of these incredible awards humble brag 
for a moment. And I'm, I'm getting my degree from the military, paying it. And I decide after I get my degree, I'm going to go back in as an officer. That's actually why I went to college for a computer science uh, degree in the College of Engineering. My, my goal was to be an officer, go back in. And I remember my wife telling me in the car one day, she said, Trey, you will never be happy until you surrender to the call of God that is on your life. I could try to formulate a future that might be pleasant, that might be good. I could try to think somehow I don't want to be a pastor or a preacher or in ministry or that season is over, but she saw something in me that I couldn't see in the moment. And that was a call that was not going away. You see, you can run from the call of God on your life, but he will find you. Even if you're hiding in the baggage, even if you're, if you're showing up to the call with baggage, God is going to find you. Verse 23, so they found him and brought him out. I just see Saul, like, wait, I didn't ask for this. Why are you, why are you bringing me out? I didn't ask for this. We, we cast lots, like, roll the dice again. I don't, I don't want to do this. So they brought him out, verse 23, and he stood head and shoulders above anyone else else. So, so here, he, here he is. He's already feeling put on the spot, feeling different, feeling like he doesn't fit. And the Bible says he stood head and shoulders above everyone else. Fours, whether you're a full four or a wing four, or you go to a four in growth or you go to a four in disintegration, listen to me, stop apologizing for being different. You being different is exactly what God needs in this world. Verse 24, then Samuel said to all the people, this is the man the Lord has chosen. I'd like you to underline that in your Bible. This is the man the Lord has chosen. Some of us fours need to wake up in the morning, look in the mirror and say, this is the man the Lord has chosen. This is the woman the Lord has chosen. Only say that if you're a woman, it would be weird if I did that because I'm not a woman, I'm a man. You can use the term that describes you. You are the man that God has chosen. You are the woman that God has chosen. I hope that I've repeated this enough for you. Because when the dust settles of ministry or family life or work life, goals and dreams, you know, when it's all said and done, we don't want to look back on our life and say, this is the life that I've built. This is the life that I've chosen. We want the rest and the assurity of saying, I am the man that the Lord has chosen. I am the woman that the Lord has chosen. Verse 24 then Samuel said to all the people, this is the man the Lord has chosen as your king. No one in all Israel is like him. That's that uniqueness. And all the people shouted, long live the king. They were very excited that Saul was chosen until you get to the next chapter. Then that changes very quickly. Enneagram fours reflect God's uniqueness. God is very unique. There is there is nothing like him. Exodus 9, 13 through 14. 
The Lord said to Moses, get up early in the morning and stand before Pharaoh. Tell him, this is what the Lord, the God of the Hebrews says, let my people go so they can worship me. If you don't, I will send more plagues on you and your officials and your people. Then you will know that there is no one like me in all the earth. God is declaring there is no one like him in all the earth. God is very unique. I mean, what other person or deity would choose a stutterer to deliver a message? Only God. What what other famous deity or 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 uh, God that we discuss would choose the weakest person in the weakest clan to lead his very own nation that he loved. Only God. God is unique. God picks the most unlikely candidate to do the greatest things. What is the motivation of an Enneagram 4? Motivation is significance. The threes we talked about last week, they just want to be successful. Fours, we, we want to do something that matters. It doesn't matter how much money you make. It doesn't matter if you're famous or not. You just want to do something that matters. You know, in Scripture, when a king dies, uh, the Jews are kind of brutal. They're, they're ruthless in telling you what they really think about the king. If they liked you, they'll let you know. If they didn't like you, the entire world is going to know about it. Um, and so what do they say? What do they say about Samuel? In 1 Samuel 14, 47 through 48, now when Saul had, I'm sorry, what do they say about Saul? Now when Saul had secured the grasp on Israel's throne, he fought against his enemies in every direction against Moab and Philistines, and wherever he turned, he was victorious. America uh, is very lucky in the fact that we don't have enemies on every side. We have oceans. Right? We're pretty lucky and, and blessed by that. Uh, but in Israel, they have enemies on every side. And what we know about Saul is that he saved Israel from all of those people. He found he had great deeds and conquered all of these people and kept Israel safe. He was very significant. His need was to be unique. Fours want to avoid being basic. They want to avoid being basic. Threes, man, they want a label. Fours hate the label. Fours will buy the label and take off the label just so you don't know that they're wearing the label. Like, you know, fours will go find an alpaca in Istanbul to shave the wool, to spin the wool into yarn, to create their own sweater just so that they can say they didn't go to J.C. Penney's, right? They don't want to be basic. The downside of a four, if they're not healthy, the thing that they focus on is what's missing. This can literally be, this can literally be uh, the thorn in the flesh of fours. They struggle often in being satisfied. And if they're not careful and if they're unhealthy, they can enjoy being depressed. They can enjoy being depressed. When Saul is seriously low and very depressed, he brings in David to play the harp for him. Now, how dramatic is that, right? I'm depressed, let me lay down and eat grapes, bring someone in to play the harp for me while I'm sad. Saul is such a four. Our core sin as a four is envy, envy. I wanna be most unique, I need, to, I need the attention, 
Um, I want to be in the spotlight, the limelight. And if you are a four, uh, you can tell how healthy you are by the size of your ego. How much is it really about you? Now, here's the good news, four. You are very emotionally honest with others and yourself. The threes, they're clueless. They don't know what they're feeling. They don't know how to put words to it. Fours, you're not clueless. You know, and you have the capacity to be really honest with yourself so you know when you're stepping into your ego or not. Our course, course in is envy. Saul, he got his eyes off of who he was meant to be because of this young guy named David. If you know your Bible, you've, you've read the story and you've read the scripture, but Saul becomes so preoccupied with David that he literally loses who he is. He's envious. But Saul did good things. In fact, many of us don't know this, but uh, the nation grieved when Saul died. And when David was placed in as king, the nation of Israel went through a 30-year civil war because many people were still very loyal to the line of Saul. What is the greatest fear of Enneagram 4? The greatest fear is being unnoticed, not being noticed. A lot of Enneagram 4s are middle children. If you have a middle child that's a little exquisite, eccentric, different, wants to mix their cereal so they don't have just one brand of cereal, um, then that middle child may grow up to be a 4. They possibly have grown up feeling unseen, unnoticed, and unheard. Now, parents of fours, this is not your fault. This is just the lens from which people perceive the world. So it doesn't mean necessarily that you've done an awful job. That is just the way that they took all of the stimulus and they interpreted it as being unnoticed. And now their greatest fear is to not be seen. We see that in Saul in 1 Samuel chapter 18, 7 through 9. This was their song. This is after David kills Goliath. You know, David kills Goliath, not Saul. And this was their song. Saul has killed his thousands and David his ten thousands. This made Saul very angry. What's this, he said. They credit David with ten thousands and me with only thousands. Next, they'll be making him their king. Verse 9, look at this. So from that time on, Saul kept a jealous eye on David. Underline that in your Bible. Saul kept a jealous eye on David. Where should Saul's eye have been? On God. His eye should have been on God, not David. And you notice that when God chose David, he said, here is a man after my own heart. Listen, fours. We can get overwhelmed with our own heart, our own emotions, and our own feelings. We can be so consumed with how we feel that we lose our faith. The underlying emotion, as I wrap up, I'm, I'm over time today. The underlying emotion is shame. For twos, threes, and fours. Twos are ashamed of not being good enough unless you're helping somebody. Threes are ashamed of not being good enough unless you're wrapped up in things and achievements. Fours, 
we are ashamed of not feeling special, unique, or significant. And the irony of that is we are already significant by being a four because that is the fewest number of people in the Enneagram. There are less fours than any other number. So statistically, you're already unique. You are already a wonder. God said to Eve, who told you you were naked? God is saying to you, who, who told you you were ordinary? Write this down for us. This is my takeaway for today. You can feel your emotions, but please follow your faith. Feel your emotions, but follow your faith. My feelings are sometimes the least authentic, most temporary part of who I am. Robert Hilliker said, shame starts as a two-person experience. But as I got older, I learned how to do shame all by myself. Some of us are so consumed with the inner turmoil of our heart and our life that we are allowing shame not to be put on us, but to circulate within us. Church, I want to encourage you today to understand that shame is the depression of our spiritual lives. We don't want to go anywhere. We don't want to do anything. We just lay in the same place, moping around because we aren't perfect or we didn't get our way or they didn't understand us. Shame eventually turns to bitterness, resentment. And if it's left unchecked, can eventually turn to full-on hatred toward God. You know the trouble with shame? The trouble with shame is that it keeps us connected to our sin. I told you at the beginning of this sermon that sin has a companion and it's shame. And you can stop the sin, but carry the shame. And as long as you carry the shame, you're always connected to the sin. Those who trust in God will never be put to shame. And as Christians, we should not live in the shadow of the shame of sin. Fours, I'm going to leave you with this and I'm done. There is a verse that I want you to memorize. I hope that you memorize it. Put it on your bathroom mirror. Put it on your phone. I'm going to give you two translations, the NIV and the Passion Translation. But it's Psalm 139, verse 14. Psalm 139, verse 14 in the NIV says this. I praise you because I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Your works are wonderful. I know that full well. In the Passion Translation, Psalm 139, 14, same verse, says, I thank you, God, for making me so mysteriously complex. Everything you do is marvelously breathtaking. It simply amazes me to think about it, how thoroughly you know me, Lord. Church, I want to pray for us today. For those of us, maybe as fours who aren't afraid of the ups and downs of emotions, you're probably handling a lot of this stuff well in, in culture, more than other of the numbers. But I want to pray not just over fours today. I want to pray over each and every one of us. I, wanna, I just want to pray that shame 
will be far from us. That we understand we don't have to carry that any longer. The word tells us that all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. But the Bible also tells us that God created a way of escape. You see, God sent his son Jesus to die on a cross for you and I so that we could be in right standing, in relationship with our creator. You don't have to carry the shame. Carrying the regret, carrying the fear of whatever you've done being found out, carrying the shame of your past doesn't make the sin go away. It continues to give it control over your thought life, over your emotions, and over your body. So right now, I'm gonna ask you just to release the shame, to forgive yourself as Christ has already forgiven you. Let us pray. Father, in Jesus' name, God, I thank you so much for the ability to call upon the name of the Lord. And your word says that those who call upon your name will be saved. So, Father, if there's anyone watching, either right now or later in the archives, watching this broadcast that sense that you're wanting to bring freedom to their heart. Holy Spirit, make your presence known right where they are. God, let your love be made known to them right now, right where they are. God, I thank you. God, I thank you that in you there is freedom. In you there is joy. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. God bless you.